Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Baker and this is Mama Stories. I created Mama Stories after seeing how impactful sharing stories can be in overcoming the challenges of motherhood. I am where I am today because of the stories of so many amazing strong mamas and I want to share that with every mom I can. So follow along to laugh, cry, and be empowered. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Have you heard about how we are changing the story for moms? Mama Fund is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing products, services, and education to moms in need. So check us out at mamafund.org. All right, today on the show, we have Nina. Nina, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I'm excited too. This is my first over the phone interview. So having you not with me makes me a little sad because uh, I can't see you, but I'm excited to stretch my wings and try this out for the first time. <laughs> well, I am happy to be your guinea pig. Oh, thank you. Great. Okay, Nina. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, Well, hello. Uh, My name is Nina Cook, and I am a mom of three kids. They are 17, 8, and and 3.5. I have been an entrepreneur for 17 years. I own a dance studio in California. Um, I started a preschool dance curriculum company called Boogie Babies, and I wrote and published a body-positive children's book called Bella Bunny. Um, Through this time, I've been married to my high school sweetheart uh, Mm -hmm. for almost 19 years, and it's been just a crazy journey of growing babies and growing businesses all at the same time. That's amazing. 19 years. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm sure you have a lot of wisdom to share on a different podcast of marriage advice because 19 years is a long time. Maybe. Maybe a lot of what not to do, but we've (laughs) we've made it work for us. Okay. Well, that's good. So you have a bit of a stretch. You said 17 to three and a half. Um, Yes. Was that intentional, that stretch or non-intentional? It was not. It was not intentional. We have a very um, long, hard, interesting uh, parenting journey with our babies. So our first daughter, um, came fairly easily. Uh, she's the one, she's actually turning 17 tomorrow. Oh, happy um, birthday. and it was just, yes, happy early birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very, um, uh, normal. If you want to use the word normal, um, we got pregnant two years after we got married. And, um, actually I not only had, uh, gave birth to my first baby, but I also gave birth to my first, uh, business at the same time. So that was kind of, um, an interesting and hard time. I actually bought my dance studio that I currently own when I was, uh, about seven months pregnant with her and then took ownership as like at the helm when she was three weeks old. Oh my God. So I went in like full force teaching, running the show, everything, with um, a brand new baby and was able to kind of grow a whole tribe of women around me to help me um, take care of her and the business all at the same time. Wow. So were you a a dancer before like growing up? Yeah. Growing up, I danced since I was two years old and um, grew up in essentially the same dance studio for many, many years and was actually running that studio before my husband and I got married and moved out of the area. 
Um, and I danced in college. And so it was just kind of a natural progression for me to, to go into this studio owner journey. I actually knew I wanted to own a dance studio when I was, um, about seven, six or seven years old. Oh, wow. And so it's always been a dream of mine. And I had the opportunity to do so when we moved to this smaller area out of the, out of, um, San Jose. I grew up in, in San Jose, California. So moving out of there was, I had the opportunity to buy the studio that I was teaching at. Wow. And so you just had to, no matter what, like seven months pregnant, three weeks old, you were like, I got to do this. Yep. Just in it. And it was kind of like a no brainer and we just, we just got it done. It wasn't easy, but, um, you know, looking back, I don't, it's, it's very hazy of how I got everything done. Um, but you know, you just do, there's a lot of grind and a lot of hustle and not a lot of downtime, but, um, you know, you do the best that you can. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so when she was about four, we decided, uh, we were ready to, you know, try for another. And she had been asking for a really long time and that was very difficult. We tried for Mm. about four years. No, I'm sorry. We tried for about two years. Um, with no luck. And so I finally went to my doctor and was like, Hey, you know, we've been, we've been trying for a couple of years and nothing's happened. And so she put me on, um, Clomid and And went that route. Clomid is a fertility drug that, um, helps you ovulate because I was not ovulating on a normal cycle. Did they ever... Did they tell you at the time, like why that changed, why your first one was well, so easy? And they why... didn't. And I actually didn't get a diagnosis on why that changed until, um, about eight years later. Oh, wow. So, uh, doctor put me on Clomid and, um, pretty quickly got pregnant. Actually Clomid is a lot of people get pregnant with twins on Clomid. Oh, wow. So that was kind of a little bit of a concern and yet excitement all at the same time. Sure. <laughs> um, but got pregnant pretty quickly. And miscarried pretty quickly. Oh, no. And then, um, again, I had a second miscarriage in that time. And so by after the second miscarriage, I went through some testing with my doctor and found that I had the, I believe it's the MTHFR gene, which at the time, they, the medical community was linking to multiple miscarriages. So I went on still on the Clomid. They upped that, up progesterone, a lot of, lot of um, intervention to get pregnant um, a third time. And then this time I was on daily shots of uh, a blood thinner mm. because the thought was this gene made your blood clot and your body just not able to, you know, continue to grow this baby. So that was successful. And I was able to hold on to that pregnancy until um, about uh, 30 weeks or so. I was starting to just get a ton of amniotic fluid and things were just, I was just huge. I looked like I was 12 months pregnant and I was only at about 30 weeks. So they saw that the, the uh, Juliana was the name of this baby, um, that she was not doing well and that she had some swelling in her brain. So they put me through an emergency C-section and we ended up losing her about an hour and uh, about an hour and a half after she was born. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, so that was, that was tough. And so, um, 
decided that we were going to like keep on our plight because, you know, I had this, um, this, she was seven at the time who just really wanted a sibling. And so we wanted to be able to complete our family. Sure. So got pregnant again. And again, with the Clomid and the progesterone and the, the daily shots and got pregnant fairly, fairly quickly after everything. And, uh, this time everything was seemed to be fine with what we lot Juliana had um, a uh, a, d- a terminal disease that there was going to be no no saving her from um, mm. we weren't going to be able to find out if this next baby had the same disease until he was about 20 weeks along oh wow and so that came along and everything looked good and uh, we were able to finally announce at 20 weeks that I was pregnant again. And uh, that kind of everything just kind of went along fine. You know, lots of doctor's appointments and perinatologists. And um, he was born like without a hitch. And oh, wow. C-section was all great. And he's been um, he's been good. No, no issues with him at all, except for the fact that he is a stereotypical naughty eight-year-old boy who drives me. <laughs> insane <laughs> it was okay. everything those is are big. always nice to have my boy's only yeah. almost two so I feel like I'm I'm almost to that stage <laughs> but yeah well it's been that stage him. it's been that stage since day one with Christopher we always used to joke that if Tweety Bird and the Tasmanian devil had a baby and then you like set that baby on fire <laughs> like that would be that is my son <laughs> that's so, so funny he is a handful and everything he does is big. And so he keeps us very busy and we have to keep him very busy or else he might run half down. Yeah. Um, and it's a, always been an interesting dynamic between him and uh, my oldest because they, they're like oil and vinegar. They couldn't be two different people. Interesting. And so they definitely clash a lot. Yeah. My oldest is definitely like a rule follower. She's very type A. She wants to please. She's very um, non-confrontational. And then Christopher is like everything about me with his like rules are just suggestions. Um, He's going to do his way. He's going to figure it out. He's going to push the envelope and it drives her crazy. (laughs) So <laughs> what are siblings for though? She wanted a I sibling know. so bad. And like, that's, she did. that's the and beauty of a sibling. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's, it's all kinds, but they do love each other. So mm, they have so that. Great. So after I had him, I was like, just ridiculously exhausted. Sure. And so I go into my follow-up appointment and, you know, my doctor asked me like, you know, how are things going? And I'm like, well, I don't know if I'm just tired from lack of sleep or nursing or working with this baby or what is going on, but I'm like dead exhausted. And so they ran me through a battery of tests and found that my thyroid was way off. My thyroid was off. My, I had like no vitamin D iron was like in the toilet. Like just everything was really off. So, you know, helped me get everything back up in order and in, I had an appointment with an endocrinologist to take a look at my thyroid and found that I have Hashimoto syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease where essentially my immune system is um, attacking my thyroid. So wow. 
found out that that was, and through a lot of reading, that that was, uh, could have been a factor in my multiple miscarriages because thyroid health is so vital to everything else that your body has to do. So got my thyroid under control. Now, in the process of getting my thyroid under control, um, I didn't really know that once your thyroid, that also your thyroid controls how easily you get pregnant. It controls your ovulation. So my husband and I were like, why am I still on birth control? Like, this is crazy. I, you know, we're, I don't get pregnant easily. Like, we're getting older. Like, maybe we should just, you know, get off of this and like look for other methods or whatever. And my birth, my pill has kind of run out. And um, I was like, I, he was, you know, considering getting a vasectomy and he kind of missed his appointment, but we were still looking into it. Well, three weeks after my pill ran out, I am pregnant. Oh, wow. And how we old is your son at this time? He was only four. Okay. But I was 39. Oh, you're like, I did not want to have a baby at 39. That makes things more difficult, right? When you have a baby older. Yes. So it was definitely not my plan to be 39 and get pregnant. Even when I finally had Christopher, I was older than I had, you know, originally planned. I mean, I was only 26 when I had Gabby. So that was just very easy to bounce back and manage life with a baby when you're young. And so now I have this surprise pregnancy at 39 years old. And I don't know if it was because I worked so hard to get pregnant between the oldest and the youngest. But with this pregnancy, I was like in denial. And I know it sounds kind of odd because you know, I worked so hard to have these babies, but it was like, I didn't want to talk about it. Mm. Um, I, when I, when I found out I was pregnant, I immediately like in a panic went into my doctor and was like, listen, you got to get me on these shots because I'm going to end up miscarrying. Well, this is a new doctor because we switched insurance. Mm. I hadn't even, it was a new switch of insurance. So I had never even met my new doctor before. And so my first experience with the OBGYN um, department was me in a psychotic panic of, you know, this surprise pregnancy and just waiting for a miscarriage to happen at any moment. Well, um, going through Kaiser, they wouldn't give me the, the blood thinner because they said they don't treat, they don't give any treatment for multiple miscarriages until you've mis- miscarried at least three times. Hadn't you, hadn't you ever experienced three or was, was it two? I only experienced two miscarriages and one loss. Oh, okay. So they don't consider the loss. A miscarriage. They consider the loss a possible viable pregnancy, especially because she was born alive. Right. So I was like beside myself. Sure. You're so much fear is creeping in, all that stuff is coming back. And they wouldn't see me until like the eight week appointment. And so I was just waiting. Mm. I was, I was just waiting for the miscarriage to happen because I was like, this is, I, it was like constantly. And I, it just, just waiting for, you know, 
the bleeding to start, for the miscarriage to start. It was just every single day, just a waiting game. So I wasn't even letting myself like connect with the pregnancy like at all. I didn't tell anybody. I only told my husband. Like there was no celebratory telling your friends because I thought for sure I was going to miscarry. Yeah. So so it wasn't until it was, it was just, and it was just a really weird, it was just a weird disconnected place to be in. Well, you're consumed in fear and you know what that feels like as well. So it's not even fear of the unknown. It's fear of what you do know could happen. Yeah. And I don't even know that it was fear. It was just, it was just full on certainty. Mm. That it was happening. So I was almost feeling like, can this just happen so I can get done with this and move on? Oh, gosh. Just really emotionally disconnected. Yeah. And all this time you're teaching classes and running a dance studio and being a mom. and Yeah. Just moving on with my life because I knew that this pregnancy wasn't going to stick. Wow. So So I was just waiting. So you went in for your eight-week appointment and were they able to? Went in for my eight-week appointment. And the doctor explained to me that in the time that I was diagnosed with having this MTHFR gene and, and, and the time of my appointment, that new studies have come out that shows that there is no link between the gene and multiple miscarriages. So they weren't going to put me on the blood thinners at all. Oh. And so she gave me a bunch of things to read and to look into because I can tell she was she was probably like, okay, this woman has no belief in me at all. And I didn't. Sure. So even still at that point, I was like, all right, well, whatever. I'm just, I'm still just waiting. And again, just kind of had this mindset of, I wish I would just hurry up and, you know, move on with this miscarriage because I knew that it was going to happen. Um, And so we could just, you know, take care of it and just move on. And the weeks ticked by and the day, you know, weeks, the days ticked by. And I was like, okay, well, we're at 12 weeks and nothing's happening. And 13 weeks and 14 weeks and still no miscarriage. And I'm like, okay, well. I didn't really know really even how to process it. And really at that point, I don't even know that we had told, we might've told our families at about 12 weeks and they were very angry. <laughs> at least my mom was very angry because I sent a, a, a picture of the ultrasound and I was like, listen, I'm pregnant. But I don't want to talk about it, mm. but I just want to let you guys know what was going on. Yeah. I mean- and so like 16 weeks comes along And my husband and I were like, well, I think we're having a baby. Like, this is kind of crazy, but everything is checking out. And I'm out of that first trimester. And we're like, well, maybe we should actually tell our children. Yeah. But the whole time, it was just this weird disconnect because I was resound. And I was just, I was convinced that I was going to lose this baby. Yeah. Rightfully so. I mean, all the trials you've been through already. And was there a fear as well that this um, child would have the same disease that you tested your son for? Um, Well, no. The funny, so we lost Juliana to, it's a disease called Pinochokir syndrome. And 
it's very, it's pretty rare and there's not any genetic markers or tests for it. Mm. So when we went through genetic testing after her, um, there was no reason of why there was no genetic markers on my end or on my husband's end on why she would have, um, not even contract, why, why she grew this way. And so it is a, essentially what it is, is her brain was not telling her body to breathe in the amniotic fluid. So her lungs didn't develop. And that is ultimately what caused her to die. But even genetically, there are some um, skeletal markers that uh, show up at about 20 weeks or so, like um, her hands were clenched into fists. So at 20 weeks, when we saw that my son was moving his hands and feet, that's how we knew that he was on the right path and that he was um, showing signs of swallowing the amniotic fluid. We knew that he was on the right path, but it's not until that point when they are moving their hands and feet and swallowing that fluid that it is that it can that they can tell if the baby is normal or not there's no genetic test that can be done to see if any if babies are going to have this it's just a waiting game yeah i know it's it's awful it's awful. awful it is awful so with this pregnancy um with the last one it was kind of the same. So I, I didn't even see a perinatologist, which was, again, like just a waiting game. Like all the, every, and, but everything along the line, like all the markers were fine. I was feeling movement. Um, all the ultrasounds were coming out fine. You know, she was moving her hands and feet. Like it was all, like everything, all the, all the markers, all the markers were fine. So. It, but still, like, going through a loss and then going through subsequent pregnancies, there's just always this. It's not even, like, for, for me, it wasn't even, like, gloom and doom. It was just the fact of where, where we live with our, with our babies, you know, what we have to deal with. Yeah. So, um, but she was born, you know without a hitch and everything was fine. And, but it really wasn't up until the very end of the pregnancies that we were like, well, we should probably think of a name or buy a car seat. Like through the entire pregnancy, I think I was in such shock that I was pregnant that I like, I taught up until the day that um, I went into labor. Because so, which just... was five weeks early, okay. she came five weeks early, but, um, yeah, I was just in, in such this like tunnel vision, I'm not pregnant mode that I just kind of barreled through my entire pregnancy without letting it slow me down at all. So there was never like a change in that. It wasn't until your daughter was no. here. Okay. Yeah. And we were like, well, um, she's here early. Uh, somebody needs to go buy a car seat because wow. we didn't do, we didn't, I think I finally like agreed to have a baby shower but it was just so surreal that I was in this normal pregnancy and got pregnant in a normal like surprise way 
that I was never fully able to wrap my head around the fact of, oh my God, there's this baby coming. Yeah. When so yeah, your, it, was, it was odd. Were your friends and family supportive in that? Like, I just want to be more reserved about this pregnancy or was it hard for them to understand like why you were doing that? Well, I think it was a little bit of both. I think it was, um, I think they know me as I'm, you know, it's funny. I was just having this conversation with some of my dance studio owner friends this morning about being um, a half, a glass half full person or a glass half empty person. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm really like neither and both all at the same time. I'm more of a realist and I'm more of a, this is the situation and this is what we have to do to get it done. And I kind of feel like whether your glass half full or half empty is more of like an emotionally based reaction to a situation. Whereas with me being a realist, I'm like, this is, it is what it is. And this is what we have to do to get the job done. So whether that's a healthy place to be in when you're going through a surprise pregnancy when you're 39 or not, um, I don't know, it's probably not very emotionally healthy, but that's just kind of where I was. And that's how I tackle a lot of things with my business. And um, I think I was almost looking at this pregnancy as how I would a business. And this is just what has to be done to get the job done. Yeah. And so I think my friends and family kind of felt that and let me go through that really weird, unemotionally healthy place. Um, knowing that I would come around. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, if something did happen, that they would be yeah. there for you and that you were prepared for that. And I mean, I don't think anybody can really truly yeah. be prepared, but um, I think you have to do what you have to do, right? Like I can't right. imagine going through something like that. Yeah. I can't imagine going through a pregnancy where there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I remember having fear in my pregnancy, but just normal unknown territory fear, not, you know, yeah. where you're saying you actually experienced it firsthand several times like the the worst of the worst I just yeah well I can see why you would want to close off and be like let me just you know get through this I think the I think the sad part is is that it happens to so many women there are so many women who are experiencing and not just women but the dads too who are experiencing multiple miscarriages and either stillborn or infant loss. Yeah. I mean, I cannot tell you how many, how many people came out of the word work to share their story with me after we had lost Juliana that I had no idea about. And even close friends, friends, family, moms of the dance studio. Um, And even since, even in the last couple of years, I've had a teacher and one of my dance studio moms have babies who were stillborn. Mm. And it's just so common, but nobody likes to talk about it because it's just a terrible thing to have to talk about. It is a terrible thing. And it's one of those things where a woman who is pregnant, nobody wants to talk about that through a woman with a woman who is pregnant or trying to have a baby. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot, you know, there's so much stress and worry already. Yeah. And so I just don't think that it's something that I don't think our doctors talk about it. 
necessarily honestly and openly because there's really nothing that they can do. Yeah. And you don't want to instill fear, you know, there's already so much fear. Um, yeah. So I think it's like a hard line to cross. Like how, how do you keep people educated, but then also not instill all this fear that then can taint their experience. Um, but also prepare them for something that might happen. Yeah. Because there's not talking about it and keeping it kind of, um, hidden and quiet because it instills fear also instills a lot of shame in the moms and the families that it's actually happened to. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I see it all the time. I mean, that's like the basis of what we are trying to do here at mama stories is, you know, have people share everything because I want to eliminate all of those things that fear, shame, people who are uncomfortable, people who are unknown, like just things that like we just don't talk about. And so then when it happens, we're uncomfortable to ask questions or we're uncomfortable to offer support. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I I just think by normalizing it a little bit, it can allow people to be more supportive when people go through hard times like this. Right. Right. Well, in, in that, I would, I would like to go back to Juliana. Um, that was your daughter's name, correct? Yes. Yeah. I just, I, I did not know that about your story until today, obviously. And I'm just so curious how you take your next step, like experiencing something like that um, many years ago, I think sometimes can be easily said like, you know, it was hard, it was difficult, but we got through it. But I just want to know, like, I'm really curious how you took that next step. Like, how did you tell your kids? How did you tell your family? And then how did you start to mend and um, really heal from that pain? Um, it is, I, I, I don't really know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that the hardest thing I ever had to do was to tell Gabby, my oldest, that her sister had died mm-hmm. at seven. Um, so yeah, so that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. So I actually come back to it a lot with the dance studio with moms who are upset about, um, you know, silly things like placement or, you know, making the team or not making the team. And, oh, my daughter is just devastated. And I'm like, listen, sister, you don't know what true devastation is. And neither does your kid. Yeah. And be thankful for that. Right. Because true devastation is, you know, losing the family member or divorce or your house catches fire. Like, that's true devastation. Right. So, um, one of the things that like got us through was definitely our daughter. I don't know how families can get through it without having it be their first kid. Yeah. Um, but having a seven-year-old, it was definitely like the catalyst to keep going for sure because she needed us. Yeah. Um, when we were facing the question of whether or not we were going to try again, I, uh, Gabby actually asked me if we were going to have another baby. 
And I said to her, you know, there was at the time a 25% chance that it would happen again and no way to control it or know, you know, if it was going to happen again. And so trying to get my seven-year-old to understand that, I said, well, you know, pretend like you have four presents. There's four boxes in front of you. And in one of the boxes is an American Girl doll. And the other box is a puppy. And the third box is a trip to Disneyland. But the fourth box is empty. Would you want to take the chance to open up the boxes? And of course, she said yes. That she would always take the chance to open up the box. So that holding on to that, not just in that moment, but for everything, mm-hmm. is kind of what got us through. Yeah. Oh, it's man. always taking the chance to open up the box. It's amazing what kids can teach us. Um, I experience this just even with my two-year-old on a daily basis, things that excite him and things that... Um, are not burden to him <laughs> that I feel like right. are a burden. Um, right. and I, and so when you, when you say that I get goosebumps because it is so true that, you know, we are in this state as adults where we've almost been like robbed of that, you know, yes, go for it. Like, but you can yeah. get one of the three boxes. Right. Um, but we also have experienced the pain and what it looks like to get that empty box. And so I, I don't know how you continue to do it. And it's probably not something you can truly articulate, but um, thank you so much for sharing that because I know there's a mom out there who needs to know she's not alone. Yeah. Um, and also a mom like for me who just needs to know that uh, being grateful is really important because I'm so thankful I've never had to experience something like that. And I hope I never have to. Um, But it also gives me a lot of inspiration knowing that moms do experience it and they, you know, pick themselves up and own a dance studio and continue to have kids and write books and do all sorts of things. So thank you so much. Well, you never know. You never know what your path is supposed to be. Yeah. So you just got to take it day by day. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You know, Um, I am going through that process of losing Juliana um, has definitely made me 100% fearless mm. because knowing that I can survive that and my marriage can survive that and my business can survive that and my kid can survive that. It's kind of like, then we can survive anything. Yeah. So that's the strength that we have gained from that experience is that there's, there's, there's nothing that's going to stop us. Yeah. What um, an amazing thing to pull out of that. I think yeah. that that's, that's really great. And I'm sure Juliana would only want you to, to look at it that way. I think so. Yeah. Uh, well, in the midst of all of that, like I was saying, you managed your busy dance studio. And then you also mentioned that you wrote a book. So could you tell us a little bit more about writing a book? Sure. So, um, I've always been a storyteller and I've always been a writer. Um, when I was younger, I actually got in quite a bit of trouble for my storytelling and, um, 
I put it all to good use. When I was about 15, 16 years old, I knew that there was this story that I wanted to to write. I was always the biggest kid in my dance classes when I was, and not just my dance classes, even at school. When I was like 13, I looked like I was 17. When I was five, I looked like I was eight. Like I was just this, I was always the tallest kid. I was always the biggest kid. I always looked like I was a woman before I should look like I was a woman. And um, so I always kind of knew what it was like to feel like I didn't look like everybody else in the room. And so when I was very young, 15, 16 years old, I started writing this story about a dancer who felt out of place. And I never really finished it because I was, you know, young and just, you know, distracted. (laughs) You were still writing (laughs) the story. I was still writing the story. Exactly. Uh But a couple of years ago, I was in my, um, like an enterprise group with this mentoring group that I'm part of and offered a, a challenge to do something bigger outside of the dance studio. And I was like, well, this is the perfect time for me to write, to finish this story. And so it's a um, body positive children's book, uh, called Bella Bunny. And it tells a story of Bella who loves her dance classes and thinks she's fantastic until she goes to um, a dance class and is made fun of for being rounder and fluffier than the other bunnies in class. And so she, um, it's her story on how she overcomes that and finds that she is perfect just how she is without having to change at all. Um, and it's a cute story. It's really, I absolutely love it. Um, I couldn't figure out how to get it published. I couldn't, I found during my research process that you have to have a literary agent to get into a major publishing house. And I was like, well, I can't find a literary agent, so I don't know what to do. (laughs) So in talking to a couple of people, uh, a couple of my connections, um, I found a company called Mascot Books that is a hybrid publisher. So it's kind of a cross between self-publishing and going to a uh, large publishing, publishing house. And I made the investment to get the book published and they hooked me up with an illustrator and got everything manufactured. And, um, about nine months after submitting my manuscript, uh, a truck showed up in my front yard and unloaded about a thousand books into my garage. Amazing. So yeah, I've just been, I've been doing school readings and taking orders through our local schools and on Amazon and online sales and just trying to kind of get the the message out to kids of how important it is to love yourself, whether you are fluffier or taller or thinner or, you know, uh, look different than the other people around you, mm-hmm. that you're perfect just the way that you are. Well, I can't wait to read it and to read it to Grayson because that already sounds amazing. And my niece is actually a ballet dancer. She's six. Um, and so it sounds like a great gift for her too. It would be it. a perfect book for her. Yeah. I love it. Um, all right. And then you developed a, a, um, a separate business, right? Than your dance studio with the preschool dance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So at my dance studio, we have been using uh, our Boogie Babies dance curriculum almost since day one. I wrote this curriculum really early on. And we've always had really great preschool classes for as young as two years old. 
And that's kind of a special thing because those classes are hard to do. They're either, a lot of times we'll find that they're either um, too hard for the kids and they're just not successful with what the teacher is trying to give them, or they are a complete, um, I don't know that I could even say this. Can I, can I say the S word? You can say whatever you want. Okay. They're a complete shit show. And the kids are running amok everywhere and with no structure or anything with the class. So our classes have always been structured. They've always been, um, we've had really great outcome with, with the kids. And so I decided that there are other dance studios that need this curriculum. So I started a company where we actually sell the curriculum to other dance studios. And um, so they could be successful in running their own preschool programs as well. So because you can't be a good dance studio just because you teach advanced 15-year-olds, you have to be able to grow them from somewhere. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a good place too. Like I remember when Grayson was little, I started him in a music class and primarily I did that to make mom friends. (laughs) Like yeah, it was good for Grayson, but I needed um, the escape from just him and I at the house and I needed to chat with moms for 10 minutes before music class started. Yeah, we talk about um, at the studio, like our our messages, it's like ingrained in our mission is to, to grow a tribe mm. at the dance studio because it is, it's a lonely, it could be a lonely place being a mom, especially in the community that I live in is like a little bedroom community. And so a lot of us have moved there from more suburban areas because you know, you can't afford to live in these bigger suburban areas. And so we've all kind of migrated to these outskirt little towns. And, um, you know, it's hard leaving your, where you grew up, where your, your tribe of friends are. And so if you're, especially if you're not out in the workforce, yeah, making those connections uh, as a mom is hard to do. And so we try to make it so uh, moms are finding community and that the kids are finding community. We're really ingrained on teaching uh, life lessons and not just dance lessons to the kids. So um, the dance classes are a perk, but the life lessons are what we're really trying to teach everybody. That's so cool. What a good way to use your gift to do bigger and better things. Yeah, we're trying. We're that's trying. A, that's awesome. I just, I have to un- know I have to understand how you do all of that and how you're balancing having a teenager and a toddler, like how you do <laughs> both of those things. Cause it sounds like a lot, just a teenager and a toddler, um, sound yeah. like a lot, but then all it the is. other things on top of it, like, how do you do that? Um, well, I, I don't do it all. Uh, And I think that that's a really common misconception that a lot of, and I feel like it's a trap that a lot of moms uh, working or not working uh, in in or outside of the home uh, fall into and life balance doesn't actually exist. I don't believe that that balance exists. I think that our life uh, runs through seasons and there are going to be some seasons where your kids need you more then your husband needs you or your business needs you or your friends need you or your health needs you or, you know, you can't, you can't balance all of it at one time. Um, so depending on where you're needed the most is what needs to take your 
time and energy. Um, you know, when I was in the season of making babies, at that time, my kids, my my babies, here or not here, is what needed the majority of my time and energy. So I was able to make some systems in my dance studio and hire some really great help. My my team of teachers and my admin team, you know, I always say that the really one of the only smart things I've ever done in business is hire people who are smarter, more creative and better at it than I am. Mm, and okay. so I have this support through my business of amazing people that I can actually step away for a extended amount of time and know that they're going to get the job not just done, but probably done better than if I was there. Yeah. Um, so I was able to step away and have that season for the most part. I mean, I failed on a daily basis, but I was at least trying, um, you know, to put my focus where it belonged. And now that things are kind of, you know, Frankie, my youngest is she's, uh, she's, she'll be, she'll actually be four in October, Mm. you know, starting to get to the point where she's, um, a little bit easier to care for. And so, um, I'm able to shift my focus, you know, more back to the business and to growth and, um, you know, I'm getting a little bit more sleep now, so I have a little bit more <laughs> to give back to the business. It's good to know that by almost four, I'll get more sleep. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But my kids, listen, my kids are terrible sleepers. They <laughs> all three of them, terrible sleepers. It's all my doing. Oh, I don't no. make, I still, I, yeah, my son, I finally stopped laying down with my son for him to go to sleep when he was like seven. <laughs> I was like, this is it. So do not follow in my footsteps when it comes to managing children and sleep. I just um, feel like as long as I'm sleeping and they're sleeping, we're in a happy place. So like, it, seriously, they're not going to be in your bed forever. Yes. Like at some point they'll go away to college and it'll all be okay. <laughs> hopefully they switch over before college, but Hey, you know yeah, what? Hopefully, hopefully. More there power will be to a, you though. <laughs> there, there will be a break at some point. Um, <laughs> my house is usually a, a disaster. But that's, that's, you know, something that goes by the wayside a lot is I will go to bed with dirty dishes in my sink and toys all over the house. And yeah. I'm like, well, it'll still be here tomorrow. I yeah. need to go, you know, work on the budget. And sometimes the budget is more important than putting the toys away. Yeah. So, it's... but I've just, I don't, I don't worry about trying to do it all. And that's how... I think that's how I survive is trying to do it all doesn't even occur to me. And so because I don't worry about doing it all, I'm not stressed about trying to do it all. Yeah. That I'm I'm trying really hard to take your advice advice as well because <laughs> there's a lot of things that you said that I'm like, I probably should do that more of that. <laughs> more of not yeah. worrying about the house and all those things yeah. that are kind of silly, but I think it's really important. So thank you again for sharing that because I've heard that recently from another mom who talked about how there's these like myths that moms do it all. Um, yeah. when really there is a lot of help to be had, uh, and whatever yes. that looks like for you, this mom is, um, in like the public eye more like famous, right? So she was sharing mm -hmm. about how she has, um, nannies and cooks and all these things that I think 
you are afforded when you have the financial means, but also even when you don't, or when you're trying to run a business, when you have multiple kids, like it can't just all be one person, right? And it can't all just be one human doing all that. So no, um, my, I mean, my husband is definitely like, we're a team Mm, for sure. And we are 100% a team. There's no you know, you do this and I do like, there's no gender roles. Like it's just, we're just in the trenches together. Yeah. Um, we are very fortunate to have family that lives in town or very close to us. So like my family comes and, um, helps on Tuesdays and Thursdays and his family comes on Mondays and Wednesdays. And it's just, uh, like we couldn't, we couldn't do it with just the two of us. So, um, if we didn't have family, we would probably have to figure out how to hire a nanny. Like there's just, you know, he works outside, um, of the city. So he's commuting in and out. He's lucky enough to have a flexible schedule that he's usually back home by, um, about three o'clock in the afternoon, but he'll like, he helps coach the little league team and he's taken to some lessons and I travel a lot for work. We travel. Um, I will go and uh, on uh, speaking gigs and traveling to competitions and continued education. And so um, he always is picking up that slack too when I'm gone. And, you know, having a, a husband to who is willing to be on board with that is vital. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh gosh, you know, you're so lucky. And I don't usually say it, but I do always want to say, you know, it's not luck. Like I chose him for a reason. <laughs> you could, have you know, I didn't too. just, I didn't just, you know, marry the first guy who asked who's like, Hey, you want to get married? Okay, sure. sure. No, I was with him for a reason because I knew yeah. that he was going to be a good life partner. Yeah. Cause I knew that he was going to do laundry because I knew that it does not face him that of course he would mop the floor. Like this is, I knew that I was not going to be shirking the entire responsibility to take our house on and our children on. Yeah. And, and it is fun. I know what you mean when, when people say that, like, Oh, you're so lucky. It's like, yeah, no, well, not no. luck. No, it's just that we choose to, you know, make sure that our roles are, that we're a team rather than right. you're on offense. I'm on defense. It's like we play the whole right. field, right? Like we're all exactly. always switching. Yeah, exactly. You ha- you yeah. have to with kids. I mean, it's so hard not to, I feel like. So I can't imagine. I feel for really fortunate that my husband and I do that same thing. Yeah. Um, but we also kind of have a unique situation where we really can do that and work on it every day. But um, yeah, I can't imagine not having that team dynamic and feeling like you have to do it all and you actually are doing it all. Like you, yeah. you couldn't get anything done. It'd be well, hard. and I... And I will say, I have some dance studio owner friends who are single moms of multiple kids, mm. and somehow they're still getting it done too. Yes. So amazing. Whether it doesn't even matter what the situation is or how hard it seems, it's all possible if you're willing to put to do the work to do it. Yeah. And that's just really what it comes down to is you're either willing to do the work and make your life what you want it to be or you're not. And that's okay too. Right. Yeah. Like it's all, we all have those decisions that we're able to make. Anything is possible. Yeah, for sure. Whatever is making you happy, right? Like whatever makes you the best version of yourself is what you should do. 
and no pressure to do anything different. No. Yeah, that's good. No, because, you know, having a fear of judgment is going to just make you frozen in time. Yes. It's going to make you not able to do anything. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I feel like I could go on and on about that because I feel like women and moms fall into that category a lot of like comparison and judging and all yeah. that nonsense. It's just kind of like a waste of time. Um, and doesn't, it is. doesn't do anything good for any of us. So why do we do it? But yeah. Um, Nina, I feel like I could talk to you all day. You are officially my new favorite person. Um, oh my goodness. So thank you That's for so spending your time with us. Um, I know you've covered a lot already, just the start of your journey, the difficulty of your journey, um, how you've turned that into something really beautiful and magical, and then how you have continued to fight for what your dream is and what you want to create for yourself and for your family. Um, so I'm just curious, do you have like one last thing, one piece of advice that you want all the mamas out there to know? Oh, you are enough. Mm. And that's just kind of however you want to take that. But you are enough just how you are in your hot mess. Whether you are holding it together or not, whether your house is a mess, whether your kids are doing fantastic or they're complete assholes (laughs) or drug addicts. Or you're still enough in all of your failures, in whether you're overweight, whether you're struggling with an eating disorder, whatever it is, you are enough. Just how you are. So good. That's my advice. Thank you, Nina. I think that's really good advice. Thank Um, you. It has been my absolute pleasure to have you on today. Um, I look forward to having you back at some point. So let's make sure that that happens. I would love to. This was so exciting. This was my very first podcast. So I appreciate and even kind of hanging out with my ugly cry. Oh my gosh. No, bring on all the cries, the good cries and the ugly cries. We want to hear it all. Well, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Nina. Thank you for listening. I hope you loved it. Please subscribe to this podcast so you can get the latest episodes and tell us what you think about it in the reviews. And mamas, I love you.